0: It's a daunting picture, isn't it? Darkness all around you, dropping into the deep. We are starting a series today in the book of Jonah over in the Old Testament. And if you have your Bibles, you want to flip over there, that would be great. We're going to be in the first chapter. Uh, People think of Jonah many times and they think of some mythical legend because of the big... We usually say Jonah and the what? Whale. Whale, but we don't know that it's a whale. Actually, Hebrew, the Hebrew says huge fish. It was a big fish. A big fish. And, uh, and it swallowed him up. And many times we think, oh, how could that happen? How could a person go into a fish and live for three days and, and all? But, uh, you know, if you chase Jonah, who he was, back into the Old Testament, you'll find out that he was indeed a very real person. If you go back to 2 Kings in the 14th chapter, there was a king called Jeroboam. Jeroboam wasn't that great of a king, really kind of a mean guy. But you know what? Jonah was a prophet to him. They had lost some land to the enemy. Uh, God spoke to Jonah and said, hey, go back and tell Jeroboam that they're going to get every bit of the land back that was taken from them, my people. They're going to get it all back. And sure enough, they got it all back. And so Jonah had been prophesying for some time probably up to this point when we find him in this story that's uh, fairly well known by a lot of people. But also Jesus Mentioned him in Matthew and in Luke, and didn't have anything derogatory to say about him. A matter of fact, used him as a kind of a, a good example of of how to preach repentance and and how the job that he did, how it pays off in the long run. We start the story this morning, though. It's going to look a little it's going to look a little sketchy to begin with. Uh, Jonah is. Uh, He's got a word from the Lord, and that's where we're going to begin, right in verse 1. So, got your uh, scripture? It's also in your handout, if you want to take that out along with a fill-in. It's right on the back part of the bulletin that you received. You say this too, Jonah's name means dove, and his dad's name was Amittai, uh, which is is, is like, uh, it's, well, let's just boil it down to truth. And so, he's kind of like this... Dove of peace or the prophet of peace who brings the truth. And that's what his heritage, his lineage is, how he was named. So he's got quite a, quite a reputation to uphold in many ways. So let's jump into this amazing story. I'll pray and, uh, and we'll see what Jonah can teach us this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us pick me up and throw me into the sea he replied and it will calm it will become calm i know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you instead the men did their best to row back to land but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before then they cried out to the lord please lord do not let us die for taking this man's life Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Father, we ask for you to bless your word this morning, that uh, breathe life on it. Uh, Help me, Lord, and my frailty, my weakness, Lord. I pray that your truth would come. And uh, Lord, that we would hear your word, like the first verse this morning. The word of the Lord came. Lord, let your word come this morning to us as a church and to us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the wonderful things here just from the very beginning is this first line is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Isn't it wonderful that we have a God who loves to communicate with us? He does love to talk to us, to speak to us. He speaks in a myriad of ways. He speaks through his word. Uh, You pick this up and he'll speak to you at any time when you're in prayer, uh, when you find a moment in time that you can quiet down and maybe put some of the the white noise out of your life. We have so much of it, don't we? If you could just push away just for a few moments and, and just sit and wait, you'd be surprised. And then there are times in our life when things are a little rough and chaotic, and believe it or not, God speaks in those times as well. Jonah had heard the word of the Lord before, as I said. We don't know how many times. We only have this one example in Second Kings and in this example in Jonah. But obviously, he was a pro- that was his calling. God had spoke to him many times before. He knew his voice. He knew when he was giving him direction. And so now he speaks to him and he tells him something. He says, I want you to go to this town, to Nineveh. To Nineveh and I want you to tell them that I've had it with them. <laughs> that I'm fed up with their behavior. I'm fed up with what, how they're living life. And, uh, you know, they've got just 40 days. They've got a little bit of time for them to get this thing straight or it's not going to be good. Well, Jonah doesn't like it. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh, and so as we read, he says, "I'm not going." As a matter of fact, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm just gonna make like I can't even hear God, and I'm going to escape. But the word of the Lord is not that easy to get away from, as some of you can attest to, and as I can attest to, the word will keep coming to you and keep coming to you because God loves you so very much, and He has such a plan and such a destiny, and He's got a bigger scope a bigger picture of life that he wants you involved in that you probably can't see well there's some other things going on here too but let's just start the fill in your first one there if you want to if you want to follow along and you should have a pen too if you want to do that this morning your first fill in some of the things we can learn from jonah and in this first chapter is this god will ask you to do things you don't want to (laughs) do god will ask you to do some things that you just would rather not do. Sometimes he may ask you to do things that you would just want to ignore. Or you might even want to run from. And uh, what you can't see in this story. Because if you just read the story you probably go. What's the big deal about going to this town? Why would you, why would you not want to go and, and do like you've done so many times before? Well here's what is not in Jonah. What is not in Jonah is the history of these people. Nineveh was like the capital city for the Assyrian kingdom. The Assyrians were the most ruthless, brutal people on the face of the planet. You can take any group that exists today, any group, and you can say, boy, those are brutal people. Mm-hmm. The Assyrians were worse. They would take bodies. I don't want to gross anybody out, but you need to get the picture of Jonah so you can feel a little bit more sympathy for him this morning, Okay. Okay, they would take the bodies of the Israelites. Now, this went on for 250 years. The Assyrians just hammered Israel. They would take bodies, put them on a stretcher, stretch their arms and legs out, and then they would skin them from their toes to their head, pull the skin off, tack it to the wall of their cities. And, and they would take the heads of their enemies, as many as eight skulls at a time, on a pole. Then they would give it to the children of the parents that they killed, and they would have them march around town with the skulls of their parents and their family on it. Uh, They did a lot worse than the things I'm not going to say, but just horrible. You take any movie, Vikings, whatever you want to take, watching movies, the Syrians, hey, a fact, they were the ruthless, most brutal people in the world. They had artists that they would hire. They would take the bodies, these Assyrians would, of the heads and and heap them on a pile, and then they would have them draw or paint with them standing on top of a hundred bodies and skulls and arms and legs of dismembered enemies of Israelites that they had killed. They would take an Israelite, cut their arms off, their legs off. They would still be alive, but they would leave one hand, one hand attached so that they could shake that hand before they killed them. Brutal. I mean, who, who thinks of this stuff? So you get Jonah now? You get him? It's like God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and speak to these people. What? You know. I mean, I don't know if it was fear. I don't know if it was fear. But I think what it was was, have you ever had someone or a group of people you think just doesn't deserve the grace of God? Keep that in mind as we read through this, as we read through the book of Jonah. But you know what? Let's bring it home a little bit. Has God, has the word of the Lord ever come to you? And you've gone, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. God's asked you to do something very hard, like maybe he's asked you to go forgive someone, someone that, you know, doesn't deserve it. They hurt you tremendously. And you're praying and you're like, I'm taking a ship to Tarshish. You know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to hear this, God. I just don't want to hear it. Or maybe he's asked you to, you know, to commit back in church again. Man, I've had it with church, a bunch of Ninevites. You know, it's like, I'm not going there anymore. And he says, no, I want, you to, I want you to go back. I want you to get involved. I want you to become a part once again. I want you to do this. Maybe you're dating someone and you're like really enthralled and enamored. And God, you're praying one day and, you're, and God says, that person's not good for you. And you're like, ah, I'm taking a ship with that person away from this voice. You know, I don't want to hear that. You know, but God knows something you don't know. And he's saying, you need to cut that off. You need to deal with that. You need to listen to my voice. And, and we're like, no, nah, that's too hard of a thing for me. It's going to hurt me too much. Maybe your marriage has got like a wall in the middle of it. And you've just learned to exist. You've found a place of brutal silence in your marriage. And the wall is there. And there's no communication. There's no heart communication there's no really relationship but you're like for the kids or for finances or whatever we're going to stick it out you know and god comes to you one day and says i want you to pierce the wall of silence and you're like well he or she should do it first and god says i'm talking to you <laughs> I'm, talking to, you're talking to like, I'm talking to you talking to me it's <laughs> says, i'm talking to you know? here's the word of the lord for you here's the word of the lord for you and we're like that's a difficult thing god that's a difficult thing because I've been so hurt. And what if, what if he rejects me? What if she rejects me again and again? And God says, well, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm, I'm asking you to reach. I'm not saying it's up to you how they respond. I'm just saying this is what you need to do. God will ask you to do some difficult things. Don't think that this Christian life is a life where everything that we do is not challenging at times that there are some very real challenges, and it takes a lot of gumption, intestinal fortitude, in order to step up to the plate and do what God calls you to do. Many times, you know, at least I'd say at this stage of my life, there's been at least maybe three times where God asked you to do some very difficult things, where it's almost like put everything on the line, this is what I'm called you to. It doesn't happen that often, a real huge thing like that, but it does happen and when it comes is it the word of the lord do you have a word from god now that's very difficult that you're like gosh i don't want to obey that god that's that can't be you that's too difficult how could that be you what is the word of the lord to you because he is a communicating god he is a speaking god a loving god and he's talking to you he's speaking to me this morning what is the Word of the Lord to you? God will ask you to do things that are not always comfortable, things that you don't want to do. Uh, the greatest example of this, of course, is that crossover on the wall. We just came through Easter. The greatest example of seeing someone do what everything in their flesh was telling them not to do was Jesus. Remember in the garden? It, now, Yeah, He was 100% God and He was going to the cross, and he knew he was going to the cross, but his human fleshly side, the pain, the separation from his father, all of that as he thought about that in the garden, he said to his father, if there's any other way for me to do this, now would be a good time to hear about it. (laughs) If there's any other way, but just as quickly, what did he say? Yet not my will, but yours be done. One of the gospels says he did that twice as he wrestled with God, and he, He asked God, like, if there's any other way to do this. And yet, you know, that was a difficult thing for God to do. That was a difficult thing for Jesus to do for us. And yet he said, it's not my will. Because, let's face it, you know, uh, we don't think of ourselves as Ninevites. But our sin is just like the Ninevites, sin before God. And Jesus went before God. and went before us to pave the way, to pay the price. He did the difficult thing so that we could be restored to our Father. And now when you follow Jesus and you stand up and you say yes to Christ, there will be times when he asks you to do a difficult thing. To do something that you normally say, I, you know, I wouldn't, I don't want to do that. And I heard one guy say that delayed obedience is really disobedience. You know how you put it off and put it off. And another guy said that there's this thing called lag time before uh, After, you know, we get the word of the Lord, we feel like God is calling us to do this. He's saying this to us. And we hear it, and then there's this lag time between we hear it and we do it. Well, that time period is a measurement of our spiritual maturity. How long does it take for us to respond? Depending on how long it takes is is how mature you are in obeying God. I mean, we all, right? I mean... You know, that's indicting in many ways, right? Because we've all like, I'll just put that off. Is that God? Is that, you know, is that really God? You just keep asking him. I mean, I'm not so sure that's God. Maybe it's just me. Did I read that somewhere? What, you know, where did it come from? But then that word keeps coming back to you again and again. That lag time. If we would move, you know, delayed obedience is disobedience. And Jonah, Jonah was out to delay this forever if he could do it. He jumped on a boat, and he was headed 2,500 miles away. It would take about a year for him to sail there. He was headed to Spain. That was about as far as the known world was in his day. So he's running. He's running away from the word of the Lord to him. He's trying to get away from what he is hearing. But you know what? If you refuse, this is your next fill-in. If you refuse, you can always find a boat going in the opposite direction. You can always find some vehicle, some situation where you can go just, I'm not going that way, I'm going this way. I'm headed out. That is what Jonah did. And I bet if you ask yourself right now, you, like some of us are on a boat right now. You know, we're steaming away from that word. <laughs> we're trying to get away from that word that God has spoken to us and uh, as fast as we can. There's always a boat waiting for us going in the opposite direction if we don't want to do that difficult Thing. But you know, Jonah said that he was fleeing from the Lord, and I find this humorous because there's so many—I uh, don't know—kind of almost oxymorons involved in this. You know, there's there's some funny statements in this whole situation. Can you really sail away from God? I mean, can you really run from God? In Psalms 139, we read these beautiful words: uh, "Where can I go from Your Spirit? Where can I flee from Your presence?" If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide; your right hand will hold me fast. And in the midst of all of this, God was right there with Jonah. And I, I, you know, Paul preaching on Mars Hill in Acts 17 uh, to a bunch of philosophers who who didn't believe in God, didn't believe in the resurrection. Paul is speaking to them, and he says this. He says, God is not far from any of us. He tells that to the philosophers on Mars Hill. You know, God is not far from you right now. Right now, at this very moment. God was not far from Jonah, even when he got on the ship. He's fleeing from God. (laughs) He's fleeing from God, but God is right there. He is always near. If he had made it to Spain, God would have been there. No matter where you go, he loves you too much to let you go out on your own. He will be, pursue you. He will be with you. And uh, he's going to keep repeating that word to you. Like, here's the last thing I said. You, you won't hear anything else again until you, you do that one. It's like, here's the s- same word over and over again. As you read this story uh, to the end, you'll see that the word temple is maybe four or five times in the story. And Here's what I saw in that was that the temple is where Jonah heard the voice of God. So he wanted to get away from the temple. He didn't want to hear God anymore. He was like, just let me get away. By the time this changes, you're going to see where, where his heart changes. But, and also Nineveh for us is kind of like, that's that hard thing to do. Like, I want to leave. Maybe if it's church, if it's prayer, if it's reading the Scripture. Every time you read it, you're like, you know, God keeps reminding me of something. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Can I just blot that one out, you know, in the Scripture? And every time you open it, there it is right in front of you. And it's like, that's the word of the Lord to you over and over and over again. I mean, that is the place that you hear God, where you hear His voice. And when you hear the difficult thing, that is what Jonah, and that's the picture for us this morning. Is that I do believe that many of us in here have heard something from God. We've heard that we we need to do something. We need to say something. Something. And we haven't responded yet. What is that word of the Lord to you? What boat are you on? You know, what ship are you on? We do it, don't we? We we, we disregard God. That's a boat. Jump on a, go- on a boat and, like, get busy doing something. I'm going to go outside and work. You know, I don't want to hear this. Let's go on vacation. Let's spend some money. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do anything to keep from me hearing that call from God. Anything that will distract me, that's a boat. That's a boat that we jump in and try to get away from God. But God keeps speaking to us. You know, this... This boat, too, just to let you know, was not a little teeny rowboat. When they said they rowed, you're talking about a huge ship, 2,500 miles. This, you don't go 2,500 miles on a little canoe. This is a big ship. So this was a big storm. You get it? This was a huge storm, like a hurricane or something that was coming across. Big, strong winds sweeping across them. But there's always a boat, always a boat for us to take if we don't want to respond to that word. I mean, what kind of prophet? Listen to Jonah's words when the, when the crew asked him. They said, uh, who are you? Where are you from? Did you notice that? What's that five questions? They just batter him. Like, oh my gosh, you're the, you're the cause of this. All right, who are you, man? Come on, tell us what the story is. And he says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. Now listen to this. Who made the sea? What kind of prophet tries to escape a God who made the sea on a boat? seriously really and then he says and the dry land and the sailors are like your God's the God of the dry land we want to do what he says because that's where we want to go you know we want to get to the dry land Um, so what what are you what's the distance that you're putting between you and God or what God is saying to you right now what boat are you on you know some for some of us it's just drift we don't notice it in our spiritual lives but we start drifting we suddenly get so caught up in things and in our lives that we just our heart is not as warm as it used to be to God we don't treasure our time with him anymore we don't read the scriptures we have no hunger for it we lose we lose any semblance of hunger to be in church to worship together as a family and to follow God together we just drift i mean that can happen to all of us preachers too all of us and It's good to be able to find and know if you've drifted away from what God has been calling you to. It's a good thing to hear the word of the Lord again. Have you ever been fishing and, you know, you're catching a lot of fish out, you know, off the coast. And you're just pulling in the grouper. You're pulling in the snapper. And that line's just dragging when it hits the bottom. It's such a good feeling. You know, you're pulling up, up on the board. And you're pulling them up on board. And all of a sudden, you're catching nothing. And the captain goes, you've drifted off the hole." We've drifted off the hole. We've got to to get back around again to where the hole is so that we can catch some more fish. Well, we drift. The surfers have what they call a lineup where they position themselves in the water. And this is probably more particular, not in Myrtle Beach, but uh, (laughs) in other places uh, like uh, Puerto Rico. We were there not too long ago, and and there's a big wave break there called Trace Palmas. And I had a friend who was surfing, was out with his boys one day, the waves were 25 feet and uh, 30 feet. And he says, I didn't want to ride, ride those waves. You know, I, had no, I just wanted to get over to the side where I could watch my boys ride those waves. And so he went out of the channel and he's sitting in the channel. And before he knew it, he had drifted because he wasn't watching the palms lining up. Surfers have, they kind of triangulate on a break like that. They find a side here, a side here, and they locate themselves so they know they're in the right position. Well, he wasn't watching. Pretty soon, he's drifted right over and here's a 30-foot wave coming up and uh, you know and to hear him t- tell it was hilarious but uh, you know but you can get in trouble drifting without even noticing it I mean suddenly you're in a storm suddenly you're getting trashed and thrashed and you're, you haven't even noticed that you're drifting a little bit and maybe today maybe the word of the Lord is you know come on back into position get back over that hole come back into position where you need to be this morning because the drift has taken its point, has taken its toll on you. And these uh, sailors, too, uh, you know, they, if they were having to reap, they, they were having to reap this discipline because of Jonah. Isn't that the way we are sometimes? When we disobey God, others get hurt in the process. When we don't respond to God, there are others around us, whether there are children, friends, church or business or whatever when we don't it hurts the others and I think that many times is just like in Jonah is meant as a kind of a symbol and kind of a spotlight to say to us hey you're out of position do you see what's going on you need to get back over to where you should be and here's your third fill fill-in. and this is how God gets our attention is that God may send a storm to get your attention now, not all storms are from God, okay? So don't say, you know, I'm not one of those people to believe that. Like everything, you know, every destructive situation in life is sent by God. I do not believe that. But I do believe God will use whatever he has at his disposal to get our attention when he has mission for us and he cares about us and he wants us to get back on point and back on task. And that's exactly what he did with Jonah. And... uh what has God spoken to you, you know? What What storm are you in right now that God is trying to get your attention with? Where, where have you drifted and suddenly you're in the impact zone and, and, and things are crashing on you and you know it's because you're out of position. It's not because of anything other than that and that you have strayed from the life or strayed from the call that God has for you is how to follow him. And you've strayed a bit and now there is just tumultuous water and white water all over you and you're getting trashed where is that what is that storm where are you in that storm what storm is that you know in the storm it's even more difficult to stand isn't it if you don't stand outside i think one of the things just is a p.s here one of the things that really concerns me as a, a local pastor is that churches are filled with Christians in name only, right? So this thing I'm preaching this morning is for Christians. It's, you know, it's for you following Jesus. It's how much Jesus loves you, cares about you, and has called you into his service. And he has mission on his mind. He has purpose on his mind. But the call could be for you this morning to stand up in the midst of your life and to stand up for Christ and to say, okay, Jesus, I am going to follow you. I'm going to give my life seriously to you, intentionally to you. And I try to make it so easy in here. You know, sometimes I don't even do the call because I know God drafts you. He does that work. And so I kind of let it go and, and know God's doing the work. Sometimes I ask you to raise your hand. But you know what? If you can't stand in here among friends, how are you going to stand out there? And how are you going to stand in the storm if you can't stand in here where well, you're in a room full of people who love you and who are going to applaud when you stand up? When you stand up and say, yes, Jesus, all right, you're who you say you are. I don't don't have it all figured out, God, but I believe that. I feel you wooing me, calling me, and I'm going to follow. I'm going to obey. The word of the Lord to me is follow, and that is what I'm going to do. And you stand up because you're going to have to stand up out there. If you can't stand up in here, you're not going to stand up out there, right? So we're going to start practicing this, okay? We're going to start standing, and you guys are going to help me when we start standing, okay? And we're going to pray. And so when we come in here, if if God is speaking to us, we will stand and say, that is what the word of the Lord is to us. And I intend to follow, and we'll get in behind each other and applaud. And uh, so is that good with you guys? We need to stand. We need to stand, and it's hard to stand in the storm. Your last feeling is this. Your worst nightmare might be exactly what you needed. Your worst nightmare might be exactly what you needed. That is, that may turn you, that moment may turn you just like it did Jonah. Now the Lord provided a huge fish. Does that sound like fun? No, it doesn't. I mean, we think of it, you you think God's torturing Jonah. Like, oh man, you know, he runs and now he's like in a fish. But that fish was Jonah's salvation. That stinky place. That stinky place with the fish smell and the seaweed as we're going to read the poem, the prayer of Jonah next week, how he called out to God in the midst of that fish, that place was a sanctuary for him to hear God and to get back on track. So your worst nightmare might be the exact place... Where God is going to speak to you. And he might be saving you. He might have you in a cocoon. In a very difficult place right now. So you can be kept. And you can get back on track with him. Back on track with the Savior. That fish just happened to come along. And as we read the story in the poem of of Jonah. You know he's going down and down. He says. Don't know how far. And then finally he's he's saved by the fish. But he's still down, down, down. Matter of fact. Isn't it funny? Jonah. He goes down down to Joppa. He goes down onto the boat. He goes down into the sea and then he goes down into the fish. He just keeps going down, down, down because he's not responding to the word of the Lord. God loves you too much to let you stray, to drift, to go too far. What is the word of the Lord to you this morning? Let's pray.